where you and I can connect. It's a show that embraces a 360-degree look at womanhood. It's our voice, our perspective. It's what we care about, and it's how we feel. Empowerment through conversation is what it is. This is Full Circle. Welcome to another edition of Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. This is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I am happy to have my guest once again, Miss Tamisa Wash. She is the anti-trafficking program manager for Weave, Women Escaping a Violent Environment. Good morning, ma'am. Good morning. I'm happy to have you back on the show, Miss Tamisa, because you have so much knowledge and there is so much information we need to give to the community. And so I'm happy that you're here to have this conversation with me. Yeah, I definitely think it's an important one and I'm excited to be here and share all the new things Weave is doing in ways that um the the community can connect right right weave's doing some <laughs> exciting things uh for for everyone in the south sac area uh, overall but they've got some special programs happening in south sac so we want to make sure to highlight that but before we get started i know people say oh i know what domestic violence violence is or they may feel like it's only one form but there's actually six types yeah of domestic violence yeah um what in talking to the community and as people are calling our support line, they are calling and they're saying, okay, this is what happened. Um, but then if no physical component is a part of that, mm-hmm. then they don't think it's domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wanted to share what those are because you yourself may have experienced it and didn't know. Right. Or you simply could have been a perpetrator of it and didn't know. Right. And not not intentionally. Right. Right. right? So, um, yeah, I wanted to dive into what those are. So, of course, the one that is well and is, is a common one is physical violence. Mm-hmm. So that can consist of hitting, choking, threatening or any anything in that in that nature. Um, emotional abuse, um, criticism, abuse that really makes alters the decision of someone. And when that happens, you know, that is something you don't see physically. Right. You just, it's something that someone feels emotionally. Yeah. Um, financial abuse is one of the ones that is really hard to detect. Mm-hmm. Um, it is when someone has control over your money, over any way that you're financially trying to be independent. And let me just say what domestic violence is, first of all. It's power and control. Mm-hmm. And these are the six different types. Um, sexual abuse. When someone really is making you do something sexually and forces you into any type of sex act. Um, one of the ones, uh, spiritual abuse. Um, people are kind of like, well, what is spiritual abuse? Um, it doesn't specifically have to do with um, church or anything, and which is like, which is another thing that really centers people, but also anything that takes you away from your wellness, yeah. right? So that could be yoga, that could be meditation. So anything that will take you away from what can heal you. Okay. And one of the, the, the ones that um, is to me fairly new, but also is one that we should uh, be mindful of with youth is technological abuse. That is, um, we have social media, right? So right. when people are wanting your password, when um, simply even wanting to have a tracker under under your car, that's mm-hmm. technological, anything techie, or um, as a way to control you, 
but also engage you in, and pretend or also bring in love, it can be like, well, I need your password. I need to have to know what you're doing every step of the way. Like, let me let me ping you on your on your um, on your phone. Mm-hmm. And it's just showing why well, I love you. So I want to I need to know all of that. Yeah. And so as a youth, that can definitely be a, a population that's vulnerable and susceptible to technological right, abuse. Because it's that, you know, you use that word. I love you. So I want to do Stay X, connected. Y and Z. Right. Yeah. And. And unfortunately, young girls and young boys fall victim to, well, it's love. They love me. They just want to check up on me. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's that be so. I mean, it's be careful. That's not love. That is not love at all. Like you said, it's power and control. Yeah. Just simply put power and control. Anything that someone elicits any power over you trying to control who you are and pulls away from that, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that's why I really think it's important that people are aware of what the six different types are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and spiritual abuse, I want to come back to that. Can we talk a little bit more about that? So you said it's not necessarily the church, but could it be one way that people may use like the Bible or other spiritual teachings? Oh, definitely. To control you as yeah. well. So if you believe this, because I know you've been reading your Bible. I know you told me this. So the word says this. Mm-hmm. And using that, and then it's altering someone's perception or what they believe. And so they're like, well, it does say that. So Mm -hmm. you're aligned with me. You're connecting with me on this way, on this pathway. So it must mean that you're not an abuser. You're actually for me. You're you're bringing me some truth and and kind of trying to enlighten me. Yeah. So using your spiritual abuse, I mean, using your your spirituality and using what you have for your own healing Mm -hmm. as a way to turn it differently. Yeah. Right. And and um. Also, as you're going over the Bible verses and you know what you believe, but someone turns it differently and begins to shape and uh, create their own form for you. That can definitely be something that takes you back and like makes you really think differently. Right, man. It, it's it's so crazy how I it's so funny. We, I was just teaching a, a sexual harassment class yesterday and we were looking at the material and. Um, some of the examples that they gave, while they sounded outrageous to people that may have some rational thinking, mm-hmm. I was telling the class, I said, you know what? You never know what people, how people will twist things, how people will, what people will use to manipulate when they get a little bit of power. Right. You know, so yeah, th- one of the examples might have been something like, this manager told you that you were not going to be promoted unless you get you know unless you have uh, sex with them or whatever it is yeah and they were like oh you know no one would do that I said no someone would do that that's manipulative and that can find that person that they can that they can see that they can manipulate right and so it's we really have to be aware have conversations about what that looks like what manipulation may look like mm-hmm. asking ourselves those questions because I think a lot of times too we have a gut feeling on what things feel like. If it doesn't feel right, a lot of times it probably isn't right. I was going to say, you know, your your gut instincts, it, it really does matter. Mm-hmm. If something doesn't feel right, you know, like, I, I can't even pinpoint it. Mm-hmm. But you know something's not right. Right. Then you have to really go off of that, and that's beginning to... Um, talk to someone about it and and hopefully you know as through our partnership we'll be able to um, allow people to feel more comfortable in having this conversation whether it be in their families mm-hmm. in their communities because sometimes you might feel ostracized or not not comfortable in sharing like 
they're going to think they're going to judge me. Right. Right. And um, definitely with this partnership and where we are going, we're, we're non-judgmental. We're, we're not trying to judge you. We're really trying to bring you in mm-hmm. to the fold of the conversation and to make sure you're healing. Now, as the anti-trafficking manager for Weave, what yeah. is what are your responsibilities? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, I oversee our trafficking department um, where I um, have six advocates. Um, and one thing about human trafficking is that it, it um, encompasses sexual assault and domestic violence. So human trafficking couldn't be that without the other two components, right? Um, But um, overseeing my team, um, it's we have youth advocates and those who serve adults specifically. Mm-hmm. And then we have a wonderful partnership with Dignity Health where we have a patient advocate that's embedded there that allows, that helps um, those who've been exploited, helps them feel comfortable in going to the, the doctor. But everyone in the facility is trained on human trafficking. So when a um, patient comes in from the reception mm-hmm. to the advocate to the doctor, um, they have they are trauma informed and they're being client centered where they make them feel comfortable and they're not asking them questions that make them feel just like um just not comfortable in way why why did they even come right. and uh clients of ours have said that wow this has been a different experience for me coming mm-hmm. to this hospital versus mm-hmm. other hospitals that I've come in and the questions that they ask right they're trained on what to ask and how to bring people in um because unfortunately those who have been exploited are go untreated, you know, yeah. and um, I'm so glad that with with uh, my department and with the work we do in the community that we are able to um, help people and really um, wrap our arms around them in a number of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you plan on expanding that advocate program to other area facilities or is it just kind of like a pilot right now? Um, no, we've, we've um, had it for some years now um, of. Um, the time with domestic violence, sexual assault has been the biggest thing at Weave, um, and we've been in existence 41 years. Mm-hmm. And um, the human trafficking division is the newest part of that. But we realize we've been doing that work, okay. but now um, we are actually probably seeing more t- more ways that we can expand. Okay. And um, as the as we continue to talk to the community, we know that there's opportunities to collaborate a little bit more. Right, right. Now you're talking, you're alluding to your partnership, and I want to get that to that in just a moment. Yeah, but yeah. I want to talk about the cycle of violence because I think sometimes people think, you know, when you go through that, and I can say from personal experience, having gone through um, a relationship that was emotionally abusive, going through that cycle of violence and when you get to that period where you feel like it's okay, like you think it's not going to happen again. But let's tell people what. So they can start to see what are some of the signs of, hey, maybe I might be in a situation where I'm experiencing this cycle of violence and don't really realize that it's a continuum and not just a one time or one event thing. So let's start with what the cycle of violence looks like. Um, Some repetitive, some repetitive cycles. Um, Like, are there complex things happening that is not in the norm that you are feeling that you're taking away who you are in doing these things? Like it might happen. It might've happened in your family. Let me go back like to generational things, right? You might've saw your mom and your dad and grandmother do that. And, and so it becomes normalized or it feels comfortable. Like they didn't say nothing. right? Right. So now as you're in this, the cycle of violence is some, some repetitive actions that continues to occur. Mm -hmm. And with that, you become um, uh, um, enmeshed in that, right? And so, you know, there's complex things that can happen as far as like a a victim wanting to go back and forth to their uh, abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. which is common. 
A victim can go back up to seven times. And those are some of the things that's that um, that honeymoon phase, right, where I apologize, I'm sorry, and then you continue to go back. So it starts with that tension build. Like you're, yeah, everything is cool, yeah. and then it start the tension starts to build for some reason. Yeah, right. And you know, it's stressors that can can trigger it, right? And the, the tensions begin to build, and you just it becomes a normal part of life, and you're staying in that for whatever reason, you mm-hmm. know. And 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 you're staying in it in part two, maybe some of the types of the domestic violence. So those are the ways that that's linked. Okay. So it starts with building tension and then something happens. The tension builds to a point where there's just this explosion. Right. And so the explosion phase is where the actual abuse occurs. Right. And And this is more physical, I would say. Right. Right. And, um, it can be repetitive actions from the de, from the different types, but also that the abuser is triggered in some form, right? And so mm-hmm. that's the explosion. It it was just building up to that, mm-hmm. and when that happens, um, then there's fear like associated with that, of course, and not knowing maybe what steps to take after that. But these are like the cycles of that that we're seeing. Yeah. So you'll see that tension, that explosion. And then like Tamisa mentioned earlier, that honeymoon phase. So now it's over. Oh, babe, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to say that, whatever it is. And things kind of go back to a lull and just, or back to normal. Well, back to what you perceive as normal. And as you were talking about manipulation, and this is the part of the honeymoon phase where the manipulation can occur. Mm-hmm. Like it's like luring them back in and manipulating them, um, and in hopes that it will fade away. But again, it can really continue to start that cycle all over again. And the crazy thing about it is that I know I was reading about the um, the tension building. Is sometimes the victim doesn't even know that the tension is building because the the abuser is they're going through whatever issue they're going through or because of those stressors that you mentioned, they might not, the victim might not even know that their tension is actually building until it starts to get to a point where it's almost that explosion where now there's a, you know, small bickering arguments, you know, other attitude changes or whatever that gets them to the explosion. But sometimes the victim doesn't even realize until you get almost to the explosion that, Oh, Okay. And then you start the, I mean, so you can find yourself in this cycle. And I really think it's important for people to know you can find yourself in this cycle and not even realize until you get into a part where it's like, how'd I get here? Right. And then think everything's okay. And to know that this can happen to anyone. So I want to put that out there. This can happen to men and women Mm -hmm. and um, any any socioeconomic background, any, uh, most times, you know, they, they, people may think it's only supposed to be this population that this happens to. And this is a woman's thing. No, this is a everyone thing. And so it's important that we really, um, note that because, um, women report more. Mm -hmm. However, men have experienced it themselves and it's just not, not highly, um, highly reported. Yeah. Yeah. Let's lay some statistics on folks as far as the impact of domestic violence. Yeah. So, one in three women and one in four men are within this lifetime that are, have experienced that. Um, African-American females experience intimate partner at a, at a 35% higher rate than the average of white females. Um, and we're seeing one in three lesbian women and one in two bisexual women experience intimate partner violence. And two in five gay men, one in two transgender identified individuals and one in two bisexual women have experienced sexual violence in their lifetime. Yeah. So 
you know, these statistics are like just alarming, you know, right. and, and facts, you know, um, this is this is definitely what we've definitely been seeing um, as part of the impacts of domestic violence. Yeah. I want to um, give a shout out to um, Alika Bernard yes, uh, of Black yes. Women United. Uh, she and I both were in the uh, Exceptional Woman of Color yes, class I, of 2019. I definitely got to see that. And oh, my gosh, it's just it was amazing to witness more women um, who have been celebrated. So right. congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Alika, in her speech, she mentioned the fact that transgender women, black transgender women or black trans women, I want to make sure I say the correct term, are being murdered and brutalized more often and or or it's becoming more common and so i just wanted to give her a shout out and show her love because it was brave of her for for her to say that um in this room where it was crickets in the room i was like yes i'm glad that she spoke up because we need to have these conversations too and i'm glad you mentioned it's not just a, a heterosexual thing it is a same-sex as well, and it is also affecting our transgender and other um, the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community as well. And so we need to have that whole conversation. And, and yeah, not marginalized just... communities are definitely highly affected, right? And sometimes you we don't want it to feel as if it's a norm, right? And it's okay because it's not okay. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for staying or for joining the program. If you're just joining us, this is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about what Weave is doing out in the community, having a conversation with my guest, Tamisa Wash, anti-trafficking program manager for Weave. This is Full Circle. We will be right back. More conversation on domestic violence awareness and what Weave is doing out in the community. We'll be right back. Like what you hear? Drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. Empowering women through conversation. This is what she does. She is Miss Wanda, and this is Full Circle. We are back. Thank you so much for staying with the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda, having a wonderful conversation with my guest, Tamisa Wash. She is the anti-trafficking program manager at Weave Women Escaping a Violent Environment. So before we left and in the first part of the conversation, Tamisa, you kept alluding to some partnerships, and I'm so happy that Weave is branching out in the community this way. So before we go specifically into the partnership, tell us about some of the services that Weave provides. Yeah, definitely. Um, We support survivors, um, domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking um, with shelter, counseling, legal services, crisis intervention. Um, We have a 24-7 support line, where um, and it's confidential, so people can call in and um, receive support, whether that be emotional support. And maybe um, they may not want to talk with a family member or a friend. And so this line is available, which is great. So it's a number of services we offer, which has been helpful. Okay. And then um, let's talk about the partnership because I'm super excited about it. I'm glad to hear that it's it's happening out in the community where you're having more conversation uh, with the community Uh, making them aware because you were mentioning you were at Laguna Creek High School this week right Mm -hmm. talking to young people about domestic violence and the technological how that really resonated with them so let's talk before we go into what the program what the partnership is how did it come together yeah so um, we've applied for a grant with Blue Shield and we were Ten, one of ten recipients to receive this uh, this award throughout the nation and so um This has been phenomenal because this work specifically centers on how to leverage collaborations. And so 
we specifically wanted to do something in partnership. And so by receiving this Blue Shield grant, it was really phenomenal. Um, And this grant um, partnered with the community to create more of a community-focused and culturally, excuse me, responsive supports and services for black residents facing domestic violence and sexual violence in the Meadowview and Valley High communities of South Sacramento. So um, I really like the fact that it it really focuses on a specific population, and um, and this is specifically in uh, Meadowview and Valley High in South Sacramento. Sorry, how was that specific community targeted? Like, how did you guys choose Meadowview South Sac? You know, we began to look at, you know, from our data and what we had heard, um, where would be the best places to focus. And in in um, talking with our now partners, this was the best ideal um, location at this time to start. Doesn't mean it's not happening in other places, mm-hmm. but this is where uh, we, we begin to start this work. So it's community focused and culturally responsive conversations and programs about domestic violence. Yes. And it's targeted in that area. So when you say it's targeted in the Meadowview South Sac area, which I'm a product of. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when you say it's targeted in that area, what exactly are you doing for the people in the in that particular community? Yeah. So um, first, what we did, we we put together a collaborative group um, and community focused group that we can do this work together because we know we can't do it alone. And so some of our partners include South Sacramento Christian Center, Mm -hmm. Rose Family, um, Sacramento Children's Home, and Kaiser Trauma. And so these are our core partners. Um, Along the way, we will um, continue to, to partner with other other um, people in the community to see what specific work we can do in that. But with that, we began to, um, host some listening sessions because we really felt that we couldn't do the work even with partners if we didn't hear from the people. Right. So we began to do listening sessions that really targeted and talked about domestic violence and sexual violence um, and even um, sex trafficking and talking about what that looks like in their community and how it's affecting them. So a listening session looks like what? I come to the listening session. What can I expect that to look like? Is it just you want to hear my perspective? Are we collaborating? What does that look like? Oh, it is an opportunity to, one, hear the community, to bring food to the community. Mm Because, I mean, you know, food brings people together, you know. Um, And we know this is not an easy conversation to have. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to make sure that, it was genuine and authentic. We're just not wanting you to bring some information. Sometimes, you know, what we've seen within the black community, they have told us straight up that people want stuff from us, yeah, but, but we don't, don't get anything, anything back. Mm-hmm. And so we, we took that and we took that if we're trying to be culturally responsive, right? right. So we um, made sure that there was food. We made sure... Um, of our partnership that we had the right people in place. One person to scribe what what was said, mm-hmm. one person to be there for emotional support. We didn't know how people would react or what could be triggered. Um, we wanted to open it with um, something of healing from the beginning, so mm-hmm. to set the tone. And then we um, asked uh, four specific questions that, um, <clears throat> that really spoke to them. How, how do you define domestic violence? We wanted to start from the root okay. because some people – experience something but don't know they're experiencing something right going back to the six factors that we talk or the six types of domestic violence right so you could be you know again I think most people think domestic violence is only physical but I'm sure that as you start to explain what they are then more people are like wait a minute I had 
I, I experienced, I was, I'm in a relationship like that, mm-hmm. you know, um, like you gave the example about the young ladies that were saying, if, if the, if the guy's paying your cell phone bill and he asks you for your password, you feel obligated yeah. because he's paying your bill. Right. Yeah. But that's and, control and power. Right. Right. And one of the things I want to go back with the listening session that we did, we wanted to make sure that we created a self and welcoming environment. So we didn't just create community, um, community, um, what do you want to, I want to call it agreements. Okay. They created them. So we wanted to ask them. So this was really geared to asking them what they wanted. So some of the things included, we want respect, um, one mic, one person. So we want to make sure that one person is talking at a time. So at each community listening session, thus far we've had three Mm -hmm. and, um, each one, they, they were all different and each group created their own agreements and we wanted to make sure that they felt safe. And what did that look like for them? Um, from us because we're there and we want to make sure that we're not running this. This is really community and we want to bring forth solutions from what you've said. And you know, that's important to have them create those ground rules, that learning agreement, that community agreement, however you frame it. It's really important because then, then they'll stick to it. It's not like here comes weave and blue shield or, or the partners coming in, telling us what to do, telling us how to act and how to conduct ourselves. Many times they've had that. Right. We've already been doing that. Right. Right. And we don't want, I mean, cause it's interesting that, Sometimes power and control can happen in systems. Yes. So we don't want to project that same um, experience Mm -hmm. if we're asking of them. And so we even did um, to celebrate, we did gift cards. I mean, we did a we did a raffle. So your voice matters. And Mm -hmm. that's how the flyers, the flyer looked too. it said your voice matters. That was the top thing. It wasn't even getting into the details yet. Mm -hmm. It was really your voice matters. And the flyer, what I loved about it from our communications um, director was that she put um, pictures of black people. Yeah. Because how do you engage in a topic automatically when you see domestic violence? Um, you don't. You might not be rushing to that, but right. you're like, oh, I see something that looks like me, and it says my voice matters. Right. That's right. big. That's attracting. <laughs> right. Big. That's attracting people, and again, inviting them. Already having your arms open to, we see you and we hear you. Yes. You know that's big. So you start off with the what is domestic violence or how do you define it? Which yes. Is, I mean, that could go on for a moment, I would imagine, too. Um, But then what what are some of the other questions that you ask? Yeah. Why do you feel black people experience domestic violence at a higher rate than other racial groups? Mm. Um, And uh, what does the black community need to thrive and decrease domestic violence? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, how can we support you and what do you need to feel heard? So we wanted to make sure it was concise. So four questions, which. Um, Each session was about two hours. But like you said, it was still a plethora of information, but it was still um, information that they had never been asked. Yeah. Yeah. And so we wanted to make sure that we were really intentional about the questions and we wanted to know. And and, and what I loved about it, they were real. Like Mm -hmm. it was no it was nothing that was not off the table, which which made me feel good that they felt comfortable. Yeah. Um, in a space that they can really do that. Yeah, so you created a safe space for people to want to come in and share. Um, so with your first listening session, did were people reluctant to share or still kind of like, oh, I'm just trying to figure out what this is, what does this mean, you know? How was that first listening session compared to the third, you know? Yeah, so the first one, yeah, definitely we've, we, we um, have improved since the first one, but the first one was actually powerful because... What we did was um, with our partners, our partners 
were the ones to market in their communities, right? And so we knew that they're going to be more um, comfortable in coming if they know it's South Sacramento Christian Center or if they know that it's Rose Family Empowerment Center, right? Uh Because, and so when they're reaching out, not it's not just weave. They might not have a relationship right. with weave, right? And they may have a, a an idea of what a relationship with weave may look like, right? Yeah. And so that's the part that made them begin to talk like talk about it because they were they saw people that looked like them, okay. and then they saw people attending that they w- wouldn't have thought um, had these experiences. And to know we 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 re, re um, reiterated that. This is a space that needs to to stay here in this in this room. But mind you, your thoughts and, and the solutions that we have will move forward in the community. Yeah. But we want to respect what people are saying. Mm-hmm. And um, it was not easy to, to get that. Like, so every time I, I got more and more excited and me being a black woman, I was thrilled to be a part of this and know what my ancestors have gone through to have this conversation now come full circle, you know, and really have that. And um, it's just been a blessing, but it's also been encouraging for me to be a part of that to, for we've to have known that this collaboration needed to happen Mm -hmm. and we applied Mm -hmm. and um, knew that we needed to make sure that we had partners in this. Yeah. I like how you, you utilized your community partners. Like you said, Rose family, um, empowerment center you talked about south sacramento christian home i'm christian center the sacramento children's home um and kaiser south sacramento i like how you included them too because like you said when they don't look like us and they're wanting information people are reluctant to speak so you brought in the people the familiarity of those community organizations that are already staples in the community to now let's come in and have a conversation and that's that that's really important and i'm glad that we've thought of it or was thoughtful about how they presented that information out to the community and one thing you know uh weave has definitely been intentional about wanting to bring forth diverse populations in coming to receive services. Um, we recognize that especially black um, black families are not coming to receive services as yeah. much. And yeah. so we want to take a introspect of ourselves. What what do we need to do and, and, and what do we need to hear from in our communities that um, we can begin to make some changes that are that are um, genuine, that are authentic, and yeah. that we really were intentional to making sure everyone is part of the fold. And one of the simple things a client said was, you know, um, even when I come in, um, I might not see myself myself reflected in the lobby, in the in the waiting room, in magazines. So mm-hmm. simple things like that. Oh, wow. They were real, just real. And so yeah. I love that because. Um, Wow, it's that made things that you're not thinking about. Right. And we want our partners to be able to vet us more by saying, no, we know they have had these things in place because right. we heard from you. Right. And we know that if we're referring you there, we know that you're wrapped around, you're good. Right. And so we know um, that we truly want people to receive the services they need and deserve right. um, and not feel shamed about having to have gone through sexual violence and domestic violence. Yeah. And knowing it's OK to have that conversation. Yes, definitely. it's OK. And it's I mean, we need that. We need that's the only way that we're going to be able to heal is to have that conversation within our families, within our community, and to seek the services uh, of organizations like WEAVE. Um, That was real interesting how you said the young lady was like, 
the magazines in the lobby don't even look like me. So how do I feel safe or feel like they're going to really look out for my best interest? That's really interesting to hear what people pay attention to. Yeah. And you so know? you're like, OK, we need literature. Right. Um, this is bef- and, and the fact that she spoke this out before I even see people who are going to service me. Mm-hmm. I need to see people that represent me yeah. on the literature, maybe in the pictures. And so. Always like okay, I hear you, and I and I feel that you yeah. know, and so um, these are some of the things that we are able to have these bold, courageous conversations with mm-hmm. our partners, mm-hmm. and I love working with our partners because they're bold and they will speak what they know they've heard from their communities and the people they serve. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so you've had three listening sessions so far. Yes, you've had a plethora of information. Can you tell us about some of the findings? Definitely. That you discovered through the listening session? Yeah. Um, what we're finding is that the, the domestic violence is not talked about in the black community, mm-hmm. um, including in counseling sessions. There's been stigmas. You don't need to go to counseling. You're good. Right. You know, um, why, why, put some, why put your business out there? You know, mm-hmm. um, what, what, has, what stays in the home stays in the home. It's mm-hmm. nothing that needs to be talked about externally. Right. Um, so we, we found that out. That was more so it just confirmed it. It validated it. Mm-hmm. Um, was more that the difference of domestic violence that, the normal part that people mostly knew was physical. So um, really being bringing forth awareness and educating, that was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, we found that we just need to educate more in the, with, with black residents, residents, excuse me, on the path of them receiving services, mm-hmm. that it's okay. And But we can't just say it. We need to know from them, what do you need to feel comfortable yeah. in receiving these services? Yeah. And so we knew just from hearing from them, though, and the findings that they weren't coming to receive services okay. um, and that they were not alone in receiving the help. Um, they they kind of stayed wrapped in their fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, we found that they wanted more specifics from systems to be more transparent on what they do. So systems of CPS, of law enforcement, wanting them to talk about what is the process? I'm not trying to call even though the black man who the the black man who I'm with mm-hmm. um, is harming me because, again, that is another way that I'm going to have mass car- incarceration. Mm-hmm. I don't want my kids. I'm not going to call CPS mm-hmm. because I'm going to get my kids taken away. So right. what we what they wanted, though, we found that we need more education from the systems to really show what they do so they can, so people can feel comfortable in um, in their safety. Education and partnership. Yeah. Right? We need to partner with, you know, you made a, a really good point. It's like, I don't want to call CPS or I don't want to call on this man that's maybe terrorizing me and, or abusing me because now it's going to be a ripple effect and and the way things have been happening um he could possibly be hurt or killed yeah being arrested yeah right and so now you weigh that's even more trauma on you that's right. even more stress right. because now not only i have to make the decision do i want to protect myself and my family do i want to protect this man that i love even though he may be hurting me or woman right so mm-hmm. we say man or woman yeah. that may be hurting me because now there may be other consequences and, and a lot of people take that on as well. And that's another layer of stress and trauma that we have to deal with. So yeah, having those partnerships and starting to weed through what's happening in systems in in, in those uh, CPS and, and 
within the police community and things like that and starting to build real relationship I think is important. And even them, um, the community partnering with these research so they can say, understand, like, no, I've actually been able to partner with them. These are some of the things that have happened, yeah. but let me tell you, these are some of the things we're seeking to change yes. because of your voice. Yeah. So we wanted to really hone in on that. If we want to change some things, mm-hmm. we... Um, how do we go about doing that? Yeah. And and is that about policy? Um, and, you know, Bawapa's been here several times. And yeah. so, you know, I love that part um, about also being able to talk about policy. And, and this is not any, this is something that's not far-fetched. Right. Um, and then lastly, um, we found that black the black community wanted a roadmap. Like, where do they go? Mm-hmm. Um, who do they talk to? They wanted, like tools and resources immediately not just oh read this form right right um and we know shelter and and housing is definitely problematic mm-hmm. um but if my neighbor knows i'm going through this you know equipping the community to serve the community mm, and so good. um that's what they were saying like hey i know it's some elders in the community who have experienced that it would be great to have a forum it would be great to sit down at the table and talk about these things and without feeling shamed mm-hmm. and i want to also say that we're not trying to tell people what to do right. in getting out. We're trying to keep them safe. And so that's safety planning. That's harm reduction. Um, because we know escaping could mean death. death. Yep. So yep. we definitely want to make sure that pe- you know people are have have the tools to get out when they are able or want to, and maybe they don't want to, and to be and to say that is okay. Yeah. Wow, it's it's so much meat in that alone. And just attending these listening sessions sounds like it's part helpful, part therapeutic, right? That we need, again, to have these conversations within our community in order to start to heal, in order to start to bring light to something that may have been dark in a family or in our community for so long. Yeah. And actually now come and have the, cult, the, bro, the bold, the brave, the courageous conversations that you spoke of so that we can start to truly heal. We can't even expect healing from the outside until we do some healing on our own, on the inside, as a community. Yeah. And that's talking about these, this topic as well as others. I want to talk about what's happening next. I just want to tease that a little bit mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we're going to bring in some guests uh, after the break that will help. Kind yeah, they're of- not ready. They're not ready for the guests because I know <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Um, um, so from the listening sessions, we wanted to make sure that we um, had the our partners identify who would be a great ambassador coming from these listening sessions to continue the conversation. And we know from the listening sessions, if people we know who have experienced it looks like us, then I'm more apt to follow them. Right. So from that, we pulled from that, um, from the, from the partners and we have ambassadors, but we just didn't want to say, we need you to, to be able to help us with this. No, we call them ambassadors for a reason. This is something they can put on their resume. We really mm. wrote a job oh, description. Nice. They, um, they get a stipend for their time. Okay. Um, and then we had a retreat so we can all come together and meet. And so, we want to make sure, like, we're real about this, that we're not just taking advantage of people. We want to make sure that they're part of the fold. We want to make sure that they feel comfortable. Because when I've talked to some of the ambassadors, they're like, this is big. Like, yeah. and I'm an ambassador? Yeah. You know, and I didn't think that my story or who I would, instead of shaming me, would really support me in glorifying how I can be an agent, a change agent for someone else and know that um, – um, this really is is solution focused, yeah. and that's awesome. Um, so we've done the three listening sessions. Um, Are there more coming up? Yeah. Okay. So we really 
want to we as we began to think about what we wanted to do within the black community we wanted to have more sessions geared for men we want to have men at the table we want to have conversations with men so when we just so i I can um just share that when we had the listening session it was open to everyone okay so at one community listening session the men were there however the women didn't feel comfortable in the first one which is totally understandable and what i loved is that the men said hey I respect that. Um, can we have our own? Oh. And so, um, because I think it's layers to this, right? Mm-hmm. And so by women, um, they said, I think we need to have this conversation first. And then it's not that we don't want to hear men or um, have this, but we want to make sure that we're just doing it in layers. And then maybe we can come back together later. Right, right, right. So, right. Um, so we want to have one with men. We want to have one with men um, in, in two facets. One, men who have been victims. Mm. And if we truly want to get to the root of it, we want to also have men who have been perpetrators. We yeah. don't want to silo them and right. because there have been men who have been perpetrators and women um, who are now healed, who are now come to full circle per se, that they are now not want that they know that wasn't the right way to go. Yeah. And so um, we want to hear from them because if we want to stop one, one person from harming four to five people, Let's get to the root and let's right. talk to the perpetrators. Right. And um, and then uh, we want to be able to have um, sessions with the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and faith based communities and um, most importantly, youth. Yeah. Because a two year old can see some things and then that can perpetuate into the hitting and the violence early on. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So these are the next way the, the next steps in um, the listening sessions we are aiming to do. Um, that we can um, get pretty much more expansive, more expansive in the community sessions that we've already had and that we are going to have. So that way we can see a really full scope of where we're wanting to go. Where can people find out about the community listening sessions? Um, we definitely will be putting something uh, um, within our partners and um, really talking to these key, trying to look in the community to specifically to to pinpoint who to talk to, like in the LGBT community. So we're now looking um, to those specific partners okay. so that way we can uh, make sure we have the right starts in that. Um, and um, again, not doing it alone, but reaching out. So um, we definitely um, can list that on our page and um, our partners will also be able to talk about that too. What's uh, the the social media or is it on your, is it going to be on the Weave website? Like where can they find it? Yeah, um, we can um, look on our Weave website Website and then also our partners. What's um, the Weave website? Oh yeah, www.weaveinc.org. Okay. And then also on the partners, is that is that? Um, do you guys have social media as well, like Facebook and all that good stuff? Yeah. Is yeah. it all Weave Inc? Yeah. Okay. And, them, and they have different handles for that. I don't know that specifically, okay. That's but all right. um, we can find it on the web on the on the web page. Yeah, okay. for sure. All right. Because I know we have all the handles for all of it. Okay, so we'll be able to find out if someone's in that community. Maybe they aren't part of or they don't know about South Sacramento Christian Center or Rose Family. Like we want to make sure that they are able to get to the next listening session um, or to be able to make sure that they hear about it. Maybe tell a family member or a friend. So go to the Weave website. It's weaveinc.org and they can find more information there. Definitely. Yeah. And it sounds like it's going to be. So how long is your partnership with... um, Blue Shield. And this is um two years. Okay. And um we um are approaching our first year, which okay. has been the legwork. And then Adele has been our um consultant on this. And so what is good because it's like she is the one who kind of brings us all together mm-hmm. and um 
in finding, um, putting all the findings together, what, what we have found. And so it's great having a consultant and then also um, us collaborating together within our partnership and checking in. So um, that has been really a beautiful thing. Okay. I, I'm excited to see this expand um, to more community members for more people to come out and have the conversation because again it's something that we need to have and and it's too it's so that people can learn more about what the six types of domestic violence are how our voice can be heard how we can start to heal within our community within our families um, and have the conversation about domestic violence so again you can go to weaveinc.org to get information on their programs and services um, and also I'm sure there'll be some information on the listening sessions as well as you can find all their social media handles there as well so when we come back because Tamisa kind of teased it a little bit Men want to have their say too. And we want to find out how to, or we want to talk to some brothers. We want to bring some brothers in to have a conversation about how men can support men in having a conversation about domestic violence. So when we come back from the break, uh, we will be welcoming uh, Reverend Kevin Ross from Unity of Sacramento and Reverend uh, Karif Lawrence from Antioch, Antioch Baptist Church. Is that, is that right? Is that right, Karif? Yes, so it gave me the thumbs up. All right, so when we come back from the break, we will welcome them in. And really, and, and let's have a family conversation. This is a family conversation. So we want to bring in some men to have the conversation on how we dis- how do we support our families, how do we support our brothers, our sisters, our, our cousins, our family in having this conversation about domestic violence. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Ms. Wanda. We'll be right back. Like and share our Facebook page at Full Circle. And we're back with Miss Wanda, life coach, motivational speaker, and friend of sisters everywhere. This is Full Circle. We are back. Thank you so much for staying with the program. This is Full Circle. And like the gentleman said, I'm your host, Miss Wanda. And I wanted to, you know, lately I have just been really having this inclination to want to bring the whole family into conversation you know we kicked off the month with breast breast cancer awareness month but in doing so we brought in uh derek winrow derek and lillian winrow and derek talked about his experience of how he walked his wife through the journey of breast cancer um and how they they their family dealt with that so i'm really having this inclination to want to bring the family together and have more family conversations and i think this is the perfect platform for that and this is the perfect topic we are talking about domestic violence awareness. I've been talking with my guest, Tamisa Wash, who is the anti-trafficking program manager at Weave. But we're also going to bring in uh, a couple of gentlemen that are fathers, that are men in the community, that are serving the community, that can bring a male's perspective. And how do we support our brothers in this? Because I've, I've had people say, you know, full circles just for women. They be bashing. No, we do not bash women. We love, I'm bash women. We do not bash men on this show. We love love the family and we want to see the family yes a lot of our shows are focused towards women but we want to see the family healed and the family brought together so let me introduce my guest to you you may know him as Rev Kev. He is the senior fellow of the American Leadership Forum. He is executive member of the Association of Global New Thought. He is the pastor, uh, the executive, uh, the pastor at Unity Sacramento. He's executive producer and star of the hit DVD "Liberate Your Spirit." This brother is doing some amazing things. He is a Morehouse graduate. He has appeared in numerous national magazines, newspapers, and blogs. 
blogs, including the Huffington Post, Red Book, Ebony, Black Enterprise. I also saw him on TV with Oprah Winfrey, too. This brother's doing some amazing things, and he's married to one of the most phenomenal people that I know and love, <laughs> Miss Anita Ross. They have three children. So he's a father. He's a husband. He's a community leader. I've seen him out there um, uh fighting for the community um he and his wife are great advocates for our community and so i'm happy to have uh rev kev in the studio with me today thank you for being thank here. you miss wanda for having me on your show today i'm so glad to be here i am so excited let me introduce my next guest uh karif lawrence he is also a pastor right mm -hmm. he is a man of god he serves at antioch progressive church in south sacramento he is a father of three daughters a sacramento native mm -hmm. And we have to, he is a youth advocate, a youth pastor. Um, he is an advocate for youth. And we have to say that he is the husband to Danielle Lawrence because right. he would not be able to live it down if he didn't Man. give his beautiful wife a Thank shout you. out. Thank you. Thank you. Keep it so, happy home. Bring the family together. Absolutely. But both of and you have three beautiful daughters. We want to talk about having this conversation of domestic violence and how you know how can brothers support brothers how can we start to heal the community in this way so i want to start off um talking about your perspective you were here when tamisa and i were having the conversation and she mentioned before we went to the break that men wanted to have their say as well how do we start to support and it because even though the brothers came to the, some brothers came to the listening session it's still a hard ground to break having the conversation about domestic violence. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Um, for me, if I might go first, is that um, there's definitely some, some truth to that, that, that men have to understand that the trauma that may have been afflicted on our sisters, our wives, our daughters, um, requires some space mm -hmm. for healing to happen. Um, but we, we do need to hear that voice. We need to hear it. But it has to be in a mutually beneficial time and a mutually beneficial space where everyone feels that the truth can be heard. And, and I think that's important is creating that safe space. But I know that as a black male, as a father um, who's dealt with uh, domestic violence um, in various avenues of life, that I would want to be a part of a conversation to be able to also hear and understand from the women, but also to say, hey, ask a few questions to get some understanding, some clarities, some things that may be um, unconscious, uh, things that we do to trigger trauma or to create these circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important for um, men to be able to acknowledge when they are survivors of domestic violence themselves. Yeah. And yeah. I'm a survivor of domestic violence. You know, um, I didn't witness it from my parents, but I was severely abused by my uncles growing up wow. and um, being chased around uh, the, the community and stomped in public and kicked in the chin and, um, and being vilified and, and um, demonized and uh, stigmatized for crying as a five or six year old when, when one of my uncles would punch me in the chest or smack me in the face. I, I was smacking the face so much so I saw stars. And after a while, that sort of thing became exciting. You know, that, that at least it was bad attention, but I was getting some attention. Right. Um, and, and so I think it's important for us to be able to acknowledge when we have survived 
abuse at the hands of one another um, as as men. Um, part of part of what I learned um, growing up from that experience was that um, it became unsafe to express any emotion that seemed to make you effeminate. So if you cried, for example, um, uh, if my my 30 year old uncle punched me directly in the chest. Right. Um, and then told you and don't cry, you know, because that makes you a sissy. Right. You know, so this whole sissification and, and uh, of of what would be normally a natural emotion for any human being. Mm-hmm. Something has got to be said about the ways in which um young black men are being socialized to be men and where are we getting these definitions from and so as somebody who has moved through that i had to find ways not to replicate that kind of aggressive behavior and i think a lot of that that where this comes from and i think about my uncles i think about um folks who they actually grew up having quite a bit of of opportunity but what i what i realized was our neighborhood joblessness mm-hmm. um you know um the the absence often of the working father dad at work you know in order to survive dad's at work the conditions in our community started to provide less and less visual examples of what healthy manhood looked like and uh and this is where i, I think some of this gets picked up that we don't know how to process our aggression the uh, the aggression by the police onto us you know growing up i grew up on the south side of chicago so having all of these interesting factors that would make a young man feel less than a man then then how do i where where do i channel my aggression except on the weaker because i can't take it out on the 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 police i can't take it out on the go so what do i do i i take it out on those closest to me hurt people hurt other people But hurt people also hurt the people that are closest to them. Mm-hmm. That's what I, 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 I discovered. So I think we need to be able to come out and say, I survived it. You know, and, and I'm, I'm willing to talk about what that experience was and how we can move forward. You know, hearing you share your story, and thank you for being so transparent, mm-hmm. uh, I think about all of the, the young people that grew up, especially young boys that grew up with their uncles or family male family members mm-hmm. toughening them up right and and i never thought and associated it with domestic violence really until you said that just now it's what happens inside of homes that does not get disclosed outside of the household and outside of the communities and and you know to just add to that women in our black communities co-sign on this behavior as well quite honest i had aunts who would who would be right there mm-hmm. witnessing that mm-hmm. and and would comment at, the, at as well you know don't don't be no sissy right. you know and so this whole idea of 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 the interestingly enough this whole idea of of toughening them up was actually demasculating yeah. young men from healthy ways of being masculine by by normalizing this insensitivity, this non-responsiveness to 
violence against children. This, and, and I saw that in, in men and women. And I, and I think that there's, there's something that we need to, to it's a pathology within our, our community that we need to really explore because it starts right there in the home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, and I, I hear him saying that. And it was something that um, my wife and I were having a conversation as I was kind of preparing to come today. And she brought something to my mind about the Willie Lynch letters Mm. and how from slavery, absolutely the, the, the demoralizing and demasculating of men Mm -hmm. in our community that perpetuates forward. That's right. um, That men have to endure some sort of a pain or some sort yes. of a trauma yeah. and yes. then be able to inflict trauma in order to be a man. That's it. And that's a that's huge it. component that's it. that that breaks down our community. And and I think, I mean, I don't want to say, you know, oh, it's all slavery's fault. Right, it's not. Right, right. It, every person, an individual has a choice to make Correct. on how they right. deal with their lives. Right. But there is some systemic and socialization that comes that's in our it. community from that that trauma of it. It. Yeah. it builds. Absolutely. Man, powerful. that that is powerful. Because I think it does take a lens of looking at both. It takes us looking at what slavery has done to our community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But also, like you said, we also have a choice recognizing just because it happened generation after generation after generation and your father did it and your grandfather did it and so on and so forth doesn't mean that you have to repeat that same cycle as well. So looking at it from how did we how what were the norms or the, the beliefs that we held as a community being treated as uh, people that were brought over and treated really poorly and what things are we taking from that and deciding and choosing to continue that legacy, if you will, of abuse, of demoralization, demasculinization, and um, just repeating those same cycles. And, and, I, and I think that this tells us how we learn some of this, but I, I think we have to you know, look at how we perpetuate it. And, and, it, and it can be very subtle in some of the ways in which we engage each other. You know, don't make me snatch you up. Right. You know, um, verbal violence and passive violence. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the ways we talk to each other creates this hardening of, and it's an expected thing, you know, um, um, in our community. It's just kind of the way it is sometimes. But when we when we look at that, there's there is this slow um this we we're opening the door for for me to at some point and i'm not making excuses for anybody who chooses this yeah. but there's a door that that's open that says well this is how you handle stuff mm-hmm. you you physically handle it you know you verbally handle it abusively somehow and so i think that the that we got to unpack some of the, 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 the ways this gets incubated, mm-hmm. you know, uh, within uh, young men, within young women, yeah. you know, um, in, in our households. You know, when we're talking about domestic violence, what's happening yeah. at the house? What's yeah. happening at home? Um, I could say more, but. How do we start to have a conversation or how do brothers start to engage brothers in having this conversation of unpacking that of looking at the legacy of what happened in the family and how to now break the cycle whether you're a perpetrator or a victim and most of the times a lot of times when you were the victim you usually end up being the perpetrator because of that behavior of when you were a child or growing up that experience you had I think there are some unhealthy ways you know I remember coming back years later now I'm a grown man I'm a college 
educated man. I've got, you know, I'm successful and all. I came back to that same house, my grandmother's house, where some of these incidents occurred and one of those same uncles was there. Mm -hmm. And I think I had my feet on the table. Mm. Boy, if you don't get your feet off the table, I'm gonna bop, 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 bop. You know, he went on into that. Now, I... I said, no, nah, I'm I'm not seven years old no more. I will come over, the, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was that, right? right. So there, that there's a way. But then I after after that moment, I he said to me, you know, oh now you're all big and successful and high and mighty and on Oprah and everything. You you haven't talked to me since, you know that he literally said you haven't talked to me since that. You, you he didn't say talk to me. He said you you haven't, you don't deal with me since that time, man. You know that was a long time ago. I said, you know, Uncle, I have. I've so long ago forgiven you mm-hmm. for that. I had I had to do a lot of work to forgive you for what you did. I said, but I don't choose to invite you into my life. I yeah. said, and that's part of the price you get to pay. And maybe it will prompt you to do some reflection. I said, the fact that you would bring up in this moment mm-hmm. being violent to me today shows me how little you have done to grow. And so I, so we, we had that conversation. There are other ways in which, you know, uh, we do it now in healthy ways. We mm-hmm. create, we have men's retreats. I lead men's retreats where we actually create safe, brave spaces where men can be vulnerable mm-hmm. and actually begin to um, address and unpack some of the ways in which uh, they've addressed their aggression, their depression, their mental health issues. Because that's another thing. Yeah. In our community, you know, it's, it, mental, we're not allowed the luxury of being traumatized and processing right. trauma. Mm-hmm. And so because we don't get the opportunities to process the trauma, we, we in healthy and constructive ways, um, um, we take it out yeah. on each other. Yeah. Yeah. We so we do men's retreats um, where, where men get the opportunity to create healthy definitions of manhood um, for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, what, if you were, if you were determining who your child would be partnered with, what kind of man, what kind of partner would you want that person to have? So we start looking at it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And then we actually start to formulate definitions. What is a, what is a man? What does that look like? What does that sound like? Yeah. And what, what qualities does he possess? And we start formulating our own definitions and then start choosing to live from those definitions and holding each other accountable mm-hmm. to self-define definitions of, of manhood. So those are some constructive ways we get at it. Okay, and Karif, how do you how do you – I know we talked earlier this week about engaging men. If a man were to come to you and say, brother, I'm struggling with this, how would you engage with them? Well, if I might take a step back, you had mentioned something about um, abusers, abusees becoming abusers. And mm. I, I honestly feel that um, what's happening is a grooming process, mm. that mm. they are being groomed to be abusers. Mm. And, I, and I'm, I'm a preacher, so forgive me if I get overly nah, spiritual. But I feel like it's and you mentioned generation from generation, which to me brings up my faith tradition of a generational curse mm-hmm. that is perpetuated and amplified. Um, when I look 
at what happens from from generation to generation, from person to person, it seems to be worse and worse. Mm. That it may have started out with a smack and it mm. then materializes into a punch and then the punch goes into the next generation is now kicking and the next generation is now committing murder mm-hmm. and, and it just it snowballs in mm-hmm. its effect. And so the ways that I try to address it with 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 men and in in marriage, especially because I do a lot of premarital counseling, sure. is I look at it from a faith perspective, not just a father perspective, because there are some men whose trauma is so deep and so real that they believe that their daughters should be with men like them to keep them in line. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that is a further Ooh. breakdown to say, how should your daughter be treated when you feel she should be abused? Mm-hmm. And you tell her or send her back mm-hmm. to her abusive mm-hmm. husband because you feel that it's a valid way to be raised. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addressing how to have that dialogue with another man who has come to me is one I would point back if he is of the same Christian faith tradition that I am, then I would mm-hmm. point to the, the fact of what the scripture says about how Christ died for the church. Mm-hmm. He gave himself. It is a sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. It is not a selfish love. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really love her, then you've got to do the hard steps within yourself. Mm-hmm. You've got to go through trauma that may be unjustified from your perspective mm-hmm. um, in order to protect and to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happens, she finds a haven in you. Mm-hmm. A husband should be a haven and not a herder. Mm-hmm. And in that space, you have to be able to realize what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you need to go into your own space and your own internal place of hurt to figure out what that feels like yeah. to be small, to be victimized, mm-hmm. to see your grooming process and see how it is into your growing process. And you need to move forward from that. So I I would address it in, in just really plainly looking at who you are and who you want to be and what you've been dealing with that has brought you to this point. And if you're in a faith position or whatever it is, then your job as 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 the male component or the dominant component, even in same-sex couples, you have to steward power well. Mm-hmm. You have to mm-hmm. be a steward of power. Mm-hmm. And how you steward your power tells a lot about your internal character. And I would I would hope to God that you have some ways in which men can sit with you to learn that because the, the, the challenge is how do I get to even get this language in my, my consciousness to, to even refer to that. The, 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 the saying that is a one thing, but really showing, and I, and, and I would want men to be able to encounter you so that you can show them how to do that because it's it's a it's a real struggle i'm thinking about my own uncles right Mm -hmm. i'm I'm thinking about them hearing something like what you just said and going well that's nice how do i do this and so your 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 willingness to be available um and other men to be available to show because if, if they someone says in order to be a man you've got to see a man right Sure. You know, and I would say you have to see a man regularly and with some regularity. I, I'm I'm grateful that I did have a father, and I'm grateful that I had my grandpapa. But oh, what those spaces in my life that were missing certain types of examples, I had to I had to make composite men yeah. out of mentors and coaches and mm-hmm. you name it over time in order to order to really have a panoramic perspective of the kind of man I want it to be. Um, 
subsequently, you know, I, and I didn't know that this would uh, occur, I ended up marrying a woman who was a survivor of domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And it it really had me to put everything that I learned to the test. Yeah. You know, coming into a relationship where sensitivity, mm-hmm. you know, would be so important just to have and and fortunately, fortunately my wife is a very strong, powerful woman. And yet there is this awareness I have, you know, of uh, how far that that we can go either in conversation or, you know, we never, you know, exchange hands because I'm scared of her. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, brother. Amen. (laughs) I'm with you. But, you know, I have to be willing to uh, be in tune with the triggers that, cause triggers sure. you know that that triggers her to feel um less than or her to f- go to that place the small place you know so i think there's a lot of um growth that i've i've gained mm-hmm. in in witnessing her um her move through her challenge and and you talked about stewardship in in the context of our relationship that is what it's been about you know how do I steward um, myself and 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 my my power, if you will, um, in the context and holding the space for another powerful person to be alongside me? And I think that's another thing that men have not been socialized yeah. to do. Yes. In fact, we've we've been given this idea from Scripture that the woman is the rib; she's a part of man Mm -hmm. and so this idea that she's a part often gives this sense of inequality about the roles of men and women and so there's there is some sort of supremacy that the man is supposed to have you know uh, as someone said if if the man is the head of the house then the woman is the neck you know she she's the one that's really you know you got to have a balance in there somewhere you know and so, how do we? How do we? How do we? How do we look at our counterparts as equals? How can we look at one another as equals? And then, inside of that sense of equality, do the dance of give and take, yeah. and managing the ways in which we can get out of order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 it was to just kind of. I wrote some things down that you were saying because you you're saying so much good stuff that mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Like I gotta break these hashtags down and tweak these, <laughs> right. you know? um, But but you talked about this this idea of composite man, right? Mm, and yeah, and I thought yeah. that was a very deep and rich piece of 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 what men sometimes need mm. is in our community because of the destruction of mass incarceration, mm. regardless as to what our president says happened or didn't happen right, or right, didn't, right, right. whatever that that type of of looking around to find, well, what does a man look like? Mm -hmm. How does a man speak? How Mm -hmm. does a man work? Mm. And then the over-sexualization and and commodification of women by the pimp hustler movement in the 70s and 60s um, then becomes um, embedded in the ideological nature of what we see in a man. And mm-hmm. so you're building this, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then a man grows and says, okay, now I have daughters. I have a mother. How do I see this 
transpiring before me. And and a lot of times the composite, when you think of a composite, man, I think of Frankenstein and all you end up with is a monster. Yeah. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And mm. so when we do that, we, we come into this space and place and mental location where we design these monsters. But but then you also spoke about the fact that since we don't know what it's like to be a man and we, we sometimes have such strong women and we're trying to assert masculinity or manhood or 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 dominance or power, whatever it is that we're trying to birth out of ourselves, how do we deal with it when we come into relationship with another individual that is as strong, if not yeah, stronger? Yeah. And like you said, you know, my wife, when I married her, I didn't have a college degree. She has her master's degree. My right, wife is, right. is, is, is running the agency and I'm still underneath. You know, how do I balance those power yeah. dynamics yeah. Mm-hmm. with my traditional role ideas of masculinity which have to be torn down absolutely right, right. that's absolutely. the key is 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 tradition traditional masculinity must be torn down for actual masculinity yeah. Mm. yeah there you go and and when we do that uh and you talked about with your wife that you have this dialogue these communications about triggers of trauma mm. and my mm. wife has some trauma in her background i'm not going to tell her story on right. the air lord right. help me but right. um but she does have backgrounds of trauma and triggers and, and I have trauma and triggers in different areas. And we have this being up with a social worker and counselor. She says, we have this terminology where we say, hey, you know what? I'm being triggered. Hmm. Um, we just have that open yeah. and honest communication. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you're touching one of my triggers. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a and we take that and we give each other that space mm-hmm. to go internally and do the work yeah. of saying, what am I really feeling? Right. Why am I really feeling it? And then being able to come back and giving each other space to say, you know, I do love you. I do respect you. I do honor you both for yeah. men and women. Yeah. yeah. And in that. So. I, and I think those are perfect, perfect questions and really practical things that people can do every day. Yeah. Because any two people who come together at some point will have some type of conflict, some type of conflict. Right. Have we been taught how to to address mm-hmm. our conflict? Yeah. Anytime, anytime, you know, I disagree with you. Is disagreeing with somebody making them wrong? You know, necessarily. Right. Is it make it? Does it mean I don't like you anymore? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes when we disagree, we start personalizing right. the fact that somebody disagrees, and so the ego in every person has this thing of if if in any way, shape, or form you are opposing me. I must then defend myself. I the ego's design is to protect you and to make you look good at all costs. And so if I'm not in I'm not in touch with my own ego and 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 its need to go on the offense, right? Um or defense depending on where you find yourself, I may never really be able to uh, navigate a healthy relationship. So I got to go, you know what? I'm I'm I got to take responsibility and say, you know what? I'm I'm getting a little hot here. Let let me let me take five. Let me right. let me step back because I'm a, I'm going to say something or do something that I may regret. Can I take responsibility for the ways in which, you know, my ego can flare up and mm-hmm. become defensive or offensive, you know, mm-hmm. and and watch watch Anita and I call it the pepper factor. You know, watch <laughs> watch the pepper. Where what at what point are you? rising 
in your pepper. Right. You know what I mean? There, there are different types of pepper. You know how it is when it gets hot. You know. It, so so, what's 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 the current pepper factor in in me right now? Right. I got to ask answer that. And so um, there are times when I want to be able to say, you know, wow, this is you know, you 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 got a point there, but I can't bring myself to say it. Right. Have you ever? I you 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 yeah, you got a point. So let me let me just step back. Right. You, know, you take yourself. You you, you do a, a step back and you you chill. And I think that men have not been taught that that's okay to do. Yeah. And you're still a man. You still get to handle that mortgage or whatever right. you know comes with being uh, a man <laughs> in right. your life. <laughs> it's like separating one from the other. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to be both. Yeah. You can be the man, like yeah. you said, and still have your responsibilities of the head of the household. But it doesn't make you any less because you acknowledge your it, feelings. And if that if that's the understanding in your household, right, you know, right. you know what I'm saying? Um, because th- we're only talking about the context of marriage right now. Right. The, the you know, domestic violence lives outside of the context Absolutely. of marriage and, and, and those okay. dynamics in a big, in a huge way. But I think it's 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 about self-management and, and being able to really take take ownership of your own set of emotions um, and how those can lead you to acting outside of your character, acting outside of the person that you believe yourself to be, desire to be, aspire to be, uh, but but recognizing that. All of us have uh, the ability to to slip. Yeah. You know, um, one of the ways Anita and I do it, uh, handle it, is uh, I have a little white flag in, uh, that we each have. We have a little white flag, and we just can we just have a truce and just wave. Mm, you know, it. waving the flag is indicative of we're not going to get anywhere with it. Can we just call it a truce? And and so we resolve it by saying, "You're always right, honey." And I'm never wrong. And and so that she can always be right. She needs to be right. But I don't want to be wrong. So she's always right. I'm never wrong. That's a joke. It's not. <laughs> I'm going to take that. <laughs> Karif writing some notes over there. Yeah, I am. Uh, I want to take a quick break. But when yes. we come back, I want to talk about supporting our youth. I know, Karif, yeah. you work a lot with young people. Mm-hmm. Supporting our youth because one of the largest uh, growing segments of people that are experiencing domestic violence yes. are our young people. Yes. So I want to talk about how do we support our young people in making them aware, young boys and young girls, mm-hmm. making them aware about how to find that language to say, hey, I'm being triggered or to recognize even what those triggers are and what they're doing to them. So mm-hmm. this is Full Circle. We're going to take a really quick break. We will be right back with more conversation. Like what you hear? Drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. And she is back, empowering you with knowledge and wisdom. This is Full Circle with Miss Wanda. Yes, it is. It's Full Circle. We are having a wonderful conversation. In fact, I'm going to change that that rejoinder to say empowering the family because that's what we're doing today, having a conversation about domestic violence awareness with my guest, uh, Rev Kev uh, from Unity Sacramento, also Karif Lawrence, and my girl Tamisa Wash is still in the in the building. But, you know, me and Tamisa both are just sitting here watching the brothers, uh, just listening to all this information that is flowing because we are being helped just as much as you are so I want you to know that we are here taking notes as well um, listening to he- hearing these uh, powerful men's perspectives on how do we have this conversation and, and some of the the, the uh, makeup of why 
we, especially men, um, are experiencing or exhibit the signs and the symptoms and the uh, behaviors that they have. Um, Rev Kev, I want to go back to you because, again, remember, you are the, the, the spouse of one of my favorite people on mm-hmm. earth, Miss Anita Ross. And I know her story and people that have read her book, Meantime Love, have read her story or have heard her speak her and yeah. her story. And I was wondering, you talked about your relationship, but when you first started dating Anita, mm-hmm. how was it navigating knowing those, ex- I mean, she's had some traumatic, I mean, she had a gun in her face. I mean, she's mm-hmm. had traumatic experiences. How was it navigating those first couple of years or the first, uh, you know, kind of forming that courtship with her knowing about this past and you know you having your own experiences how did you guys actually be able to coexist um you know for starters i i have to say that i think god put us together you know when i when we first started dating she was really just trying to that gun incident had like happened not long before okay and so I I came, I was instrumental, quite honestly. I was instrumental in helping her to see, this is before we got serious, mm-hmm. helping her to see that that was not the type of person. I, I, I arrived at one of those minutes after one of those incidents occurred. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I, I put my friend hat on, mm-hmm. you know, and friends like, you don't, you don't need to be with somebody like this. And we went down to the police station and filed the report together. And so I, I was there at the time before I was ready to dive in. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it would be a while before that occurred. But it was it was that part of me that if I had a sister mm-hmm. who was in a spot like that, what would I want for her? So I, I, I got into the, the platonic mind initially. Um, but the other thing is I was very honest with her up front about my story and my past. And before we, you know, got married, I, I wrote her this letter called The Other Side of My Bio. Mm. And the other side of my bio is not what you read today, but it's everything about me that I believe a woman would want to know mm. and should know in determining whether or not she wanted to pursue a a real relationship with me because um even back then i was relatively well known Mm -hmm. but i was well known for all the things that you would celebrate a person for you know but we so we were able to have real talk about not only the things that she was going through and and what brought her to the point where she was but my own stuff ultimately it would become this dynamic and I find this to be true and I I hope this doesn't get taken the wrong way. I believe when you're in a healthy relationship, there are aspects of the, 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 your partner that helps to address the, the wounds that you have Mm -hmm. that you live inside of. So there, there are times when not only am I a husband, but I'm, I'm the father presence in her life. Mm -hmm. And there are times when she's not only the wife, she's the mother presence in my life, playing the role of nurturer. And sometimes I'm playing the role of, of the, the one who helps her to remain confident and, and, and reassuring Mm -hmm. her. Um, and it's not that she's my mother and I'm right, right. her father, but these roles, you ultimately 
learn if I really want this to grow and to be healthy, then then yeah. So there, there are times when I put my 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 counseling hat on. Um, I quickly take it off. I don't keep it on as a thing. But there, you, you go in and out of these bags yeah. that I think are important to continue to build each other up. So in that early part, we there was a lot of navigation around what do you feel you deserve? Mm. Okay. You know, we talked about a lot of what I felt she deserved and, and that she was enough, you know, and, and we spent a lot of time looking at that together. And a lot of times, I'm glad you said that because a lot of times people, male or female, that end up allowing themselves to stay in an abusive or a not so healthy relationship, right. that's the that's the foundation. I'm not worthy yes. of anything else. Yes. I'm not enough to be out here on my own or to uh, look for or seek someone that's going to treat me better than what I deserve. And I don't even know that I deserve it. Real talk. Yeah. Like real talk. Mm-hmm. I need to plug your ears up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was in love and she knows it's already. I was in love with this young lady uh, before I went away to college and I just knew I'm going to Morehouse and she's going to come on down. And um, she was a couple years older than me. Mm-hmm. Come on down and go to, uh, I work in Atlanta and we just had this plan and vision. And mm-hmm. just before it was time to move on that, she didn't do it. And I'm like, she broke up with me and she never told me years later, years mm-hmm. later. I said, what, why, why couldn't we make it? Why, why didn't right. she says, I didn't deserve somebody like you. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I, I, I felt like if we were together, I was going to mess your whole mm-hmm. game up. You were on your way. I said, you did not. You couldn't be around me feeling unworthy. I I worship the ground you walk. You know that kind. Of, but I, so I came to discover that there there we can we can sometimes be walking around holding this feeling of unworthiness yeah. and undeservedness yeah. and and literally repel love that's mm-hmm. that's volunteering that's right there in front of us. And I've I've had that conversation more than once. I'm like, what? You know. You know, and it was it was very shocking to me, um, but I'm glad that it worked out for it worked out. You know, yeah. it worked out. You know, <laughs> I'm not regretting anything. Okay. You know, when you talked about, you said worth and mm. and not feeling worthy, and I yeah. think, I think that plays very heavily in the 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 male um, perspective yeah. of how violence enters a relationship, and and not just. And to keep the conversation balanced, not just male-oriented violence, mm-hmm. but male-received violence as mm-hmm. well from yeah. females. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think worth comes in because I know, um, and I'll just be transparent and, and myself, that my wife is a very confident person. And she mm-hmm. built that from some traumas in her childhood and things mm-hmm. she went through. But I was not. And I'm an, I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. I was the only grandchild until I was 18. I was the mm-hmm. center of the universe for the entire yeah, family, yeah, yeah. but yet had an issue with self-worth. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, as far as like doing stuff to come here, she's like, my wife had to build me up before mm-hmm. I left right, the house. Right, right. I mean, you got this. Right. You're awesome. Right, you know, and right, I'm like, right. well, Reverend Kev is with Oprah. You know what I'm supposed <laughs> to do in a conversation like that. Right. But, but you, you see what I'm saying? Right, that right. that yeah. there's that worth. And so... For me, I feel like in in, in understanding domestic violence, and it's not just physical but verbal, that I would have taken some things that Mm -hmm. I probably shouldn't have taken as a man in a relationship or as a part of a relationship, not even just a man, just a part of a relationship, because I 
felt like that was all I deserved. Mm. You know, no matter how how dope, how great, how mm. awesome my resume would have been. Mm-hmm. And in fact, some of what drives people to achieve yes. is their sense of unworthiness yes. Yes. and the sense of belittling inside their relationships. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 believe me, my grandmother and my mom, everybody, you're awesome. But I felt like I wasn't awesome. Mm. I'm going to live up to that. I don't really deserve mm. that. And so yeah. therefore, I'll take from you what I wouldn't take, you know, normally uh, because a, I don't feel worthy. And ooh. that's that's a huge piece that ooh. I think um, yeah. that young people have to understand ooh. that sometimes we build up our young people and, and we're thinking we never demonstrated this in front of them. We never did this in front of them. They see how I treat their mother or I see how I treat their father. And yet... We, we say, you can be anything. You can be the world's best. And that pressure begins to press on them mm. so that they receive anything that releases the pressure. And sometimes the pain of abuse makes you externally feel like what you feel like on the inside. So I accept ab- yeah. abuse because on the inside, that's what I feel mm. like. Mm. And, and that that is a release for me. Mm. Yeah. And that's a yeah. shame that... Now, you, now you're talking. You know, you that know, release. I... I, I I know that just through counseling, any number of domestic abuse survivors, that's a thing Mm -hmm. that this person in the context of the abuse feels alive. There's some I'm having I'm having a purpose here. Something is a there's an aliveness Mm -hmm. to the drama. There's an aliveness to the. Uh, the the, the, the the all of that all of the the things that are triggered in that moment that's occurring in that moment, I've heard people say, but there's something about it that's actually addictive uh-huh. that that that, and and I think that being oriented toward wrong attention, you know, is is yeah. is a thing that we we get to shift from, you know, I I talked about being physically abused, but I was also sexually abused when I was six years old by a visiting woman's uh, my grandmother's friend's daughter who was like 13 and you know how you let the kids kids get to go and play and unsupervised and all of that well she was uh, developed and all of that and 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 enticed me to get on top of her with her clothes down right and I was seven years old. Now, at the time, in my mind, this is the greatest thing right, right. that could ever be happening because it was it, I didn't understand sex at the time. Right. But I understood um, I'm getting away with something as a child while my parents are upstairs and, you know, this this whole notion. But um, and there was some aliveness, you know, inside of that. But the reality is. Um, when these dynamics are occurring, they factor into the person you become, yeah. your, your psyche, your, your, and, and I remember years later, I would say about 25 years later, I just happened to be in New York where I happened to encounter this person. Hmm. And I it was, think it was a funeral service. And so afterwards I, I talked to her, I won't call her name, but I said to her, um, you know, I know that you're a woman for real. She says, what do you mean? I said, I know that you are a female. And there's only one way that I could know for sure that you're a female. I said, because when I was, I think, five or six years old, 
you molested me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I didn't have the language for it back then, right. but you molested me when I was five or six years old in my grandmother's basement. And I hope you're not still doing that sure. that sort of thing um, to children. You know, I think it's so um, there's so much that 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 we don't dis like to display about the business of what goes on in our our families and our households and our the some of the some of the ways in which things aren't healthy yeah. until that becomes a a norm just stuff happens and mm-hmm. and 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 we we and you 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 hear it on TV sometimes you hear it on Oprah sometimes when when it said well that's how that's how white people handle things right. y'all go to therapy you know, uh, black people, we got our own ways of handling things, but sometimes we don't handle it at all. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to raise one up over the other, but sometimes it just, you know, either the person is not believed. Yeah. Right. You know, woman comes and tells, you know, um, my uncle raped me um, or my father raped me. Look at the color purple. That's yeah. what the whole that movie was a perfect example of the kinds of things that live in our communities that go unaddressed and it look it shows all of the sociological impacts of what helps create that but it doesn't excuse the fact that you know at some point you got to be liberated from it and change that's right. why i love seely right. you know at mm-hmm. the end when she puts those every black person mm-hmm. i'll know this yes. line mm-hmm. those so you do right till you do right <laughs> Everything Come you on, touch. y'all. Everything Come on, y'all. you touch. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Alice Walker, God bless her. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was, um, it was something that you said that sparked something in me, right? Because I know we're getting to the close to time, but when you talked about how how we say that in our community, you know, that's how that's how white people handle it. That's how the white community handles it. This is how the black people handle it. Right. I I think in all honesty that that we should not throw out the baby with the bathwater in those statements. And Correct. I know that in this room is a very positive place talking about black empowerment and 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 doing that. And I think it does somewhat need to be handled within our community sure, because, sure. Um, like you guys mentioned earlier in your in your segment, um, that it was that you know you're scared to because the system is so oppressive yeah. to mm-hmm. us yeah. mm-hmm. that when I'm trying to get my stuff together, the system says, "Well, you're you're African American man, you're abusive." Your children are in danger. Correct. They need to be taken. Correct. She's an unfit yeah. mother. Correct. And you're like, wait a minute. We're just trying to get our stuff together Correct. versus in the white community because you have resources and economic Correct. empowerment. You can go to a counselor that understands and says, oh, you're just having a bad time. We'll Correct. work right. with you. Correct. And so the economic disparity of our community, Correct. the systemic oppression upon our community plays into the roles that we probably should encourage internal communal um, support and engagement. And I think the things like and you had mentioned what's going on at South Simon Christian, and, and Les texted me last night and said, "Give him a shout out." So here's your shout out, Les. Um, <laughs> hey, but they do, <laughs> but they do have a, um, they do have something on November second um, at their at their facility for men and for women dealing with this issue of domestic violence, um, and mm-hmm. it's and it's and it's a conversation for men separate mm-hmm. from a conversation from women, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that's important because that for our community and it's open to everybody, but if for our community. Mm-hmm. We need safe black spaces yeah. where well, we can really come to some issues yeah. so and since, not have to worry since, about since, systemic oppression. Well, since you brought it up, I am the co-founder of Safe Black Space. Mm-hmm. So myself and Dr. Christy Hagens yeah. created Safe Black Space, really, which was a response to 
uh, Stevante yeah. Clark having a, a mental health meltdown in public at, at one point. And we, his, his cousin, you know, um, or close family member raised this issue. How are we going to address it? And so bringing faith leaders together along with mental health professionals, because one of the things that our people will do, we will go to church, you know. Yeah. Some of us will go to church, right, right, right. <laughs> but we, we've discovered yeah, you're right, bro. We discovered, though, that perhaps we could sneak the spinach into the ice cream, you know, and 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 the thing that you tend to like most, if, it, if it's church or if it's sitting down with mental health professional, bringing them together so that people can come into uh, spaces that are are for um, African people people of african ancestry to process through the trauma that's happening so it's exploded throughout the community and there are they're going on all the time um safeblackspace.org you can find out where the one is nearest uh you and then um anita is doing a, a retreat coming up called uh, meantime love and she mm-hmm. definitely processes y'all know about meantime love oh, the yeah. retreat I, yeah you've been i'm an attendee okay yeah. so <laughs> she there's one coming up um november 1st and 2nd yeah. uh at unity of sacramento and you can find out uh from her page uh, anitaross.net or unity of sacramento.com um and 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 of course pastor les's work is always you know cutting edge oriented toward community um i think you can't we can't create enough of these spaces you know so i didn't want to be misunderstood to say that there the there's only one way of handling it Mm -hmm. i do believe that we need culturally specific ways of addressing it so i'm very much involved in that absolutely Mm -hmm. oh man i I hate that we're running out of time before we go i do want to make sure that people know about rev kev you have a new book out courageous conversations can you tell us a little bit about it I, I can say a couple bars, but I'll get in trouble with okay. uh, Daryl Roberts if I talk oh, okay. talk too right. much because want he, he wants Darryl to have to... me on his program. Oh, okay. But but in a nutshell, it is a it's a journal that's um, designed to walk people through the process of examining their own mm-hmm. inner conversations that that stops them from. Um, succeeding in life that has them be stymied what do i need to look at within me what do i need to confront within myself so it's a 30-day challenge that that uh takes a person through his own addressing his own inner conversation so that he can Mm. you know have uh transform transformation in his life or her life i love it and how can people find you on social media or any of those um avenues so we can get some inspiration my website is uh, kevinrossinspires.com or on facebook at kevin cottrell ross seven or twitter at rev kev k or what's the other one instagram at designer life seven so kevinrossinspires.com facebook at kevin cottrell ross seven twitter at rev kev k and designer life seven on instagram all right, Mr. Karif, I've actually uh, recently uh, became friends with you on Instagram and I saw some of your posts. You have some inspirational stuff out there, too. Just sharing your experience. How can we uh, find you? How can the listeners find you and, and get some of that inspiration? Um, well, I've been trying to build my Instagram um, and just a shout out. I'm looking at it now. My mother-in-law said I'm listening, son. So, hey, mom. Hey, hey mom. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah, right. Make her proud. Um <laughs> Um, but uh, you could find me on Instagram at uh, Karif uh, three hundred four. 
So my name, K-A-R-I-F-304 on Instagram. On uh, I'm also on Twitter at uh, Karif304. And then I'm on uh, Facebook at Pastor Karif is my tag on Facebook. So those are ways you can find me. And I try to I try to give out inspirational things just one minute. I figure, you know, if you have just one minute to try to reach somebody, mm-hmm. empower them, don't yeah. tear them down. So yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's and it. and Tamisa, just tell everyone again how they can find out about the listening sessions and more information about Weave services. Definitely on uh, Um Just wanted to also add that with the ambassadors that we talked about earlier, yeah, yeah. they started their own peer support group. So we wanted to do something immediate. They were so ready to get going and working I put together finally um, with the partners our first peer support group um, training last week and so now the ambassadors will be able to have their own peer supports within their homes within whatever works for them so literally meeting people where they're at so if they want to have this in their apartment complex and they figure out the child care they are the ones who are going to be running these support groups so they can have this conversation a little bit on a deeper level okay so if you're in the Meadowview South Sac area um, Mm -hmm. right now that is where Weave is concentrating their partnership but again it may grow to other areas so make sure you stay stay tuned to their website Weave Inc. Dot org yes. is their website. Gentlemen, thank you so this has been such a great conversation. I, I really feel like a part two may be in our future. Are you down <laughs> right. with that? I'm down with that. Let's, all right. Let's keep all right. the conversation exactly. going. Absolutely. Please keep the conversation going in your family. Make sure that when this episode is posted on Tuesday that you share it. You um you know share it with friends and family. Sit down and listen to it. And again follow all of our guests on social media. Continue the conversation fam. This is full circle. That's how we do it. Empowerment through conversation having the conversations that you need to have to have an informed decision to make an informed decision for your life i thank you so much for supporting the show again if you have any questions comments or show ideas make sure you email me at fullcircle975 at gmail.com and again follow the show on instagram and facebook at fullcircle975 that's how we do it and again of course you can hear this episode and all past episodes on apple Podcasts, google spotify and more Thank you so much for supporting the show. Show love to everyone you meet, fam, and we'll see you next week. Peace. This has been Full Circle. Follow our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5.